You live in God's world. It is a, a world of meaning and purpose. This is a world where right and wrong exist. Where good and evil not only exist, but are clearly defined. You are accountable to the God who created the God who gives you life. We have read Genesis chapter 1. And in there, we see very clearly the sovereign God of creation. Genesis chapter 1 is a chronological overview of what God did in creation. It is a succinct description of how in an orderly manner our planet was created, how it was made suitable for life and then filled with living creatures. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 we read, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It is into this creation that man was formed and given life. Creation is an act of the expressed will of God. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 5. Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. There are questions in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 13, to which the implied answer is no one but the Creator. For we read there, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. No one can measure out the heavens and the earth and comprehend every detail. But God did when he created it according to his plan. The account of creation is, is not a scientific text. However, it is a factual account. We are not to consider it as mere Hebrew poetry. There are poetic accounts of creation in Scripture. For instance, Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath 
of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. But Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are factual accounts of what God has done. Few details are given. But the main points have been set out for us to see that it is the sovereign God who created all things out of nothing. Some have tried to say to us that Genesis gives us a a theological account. That is true because Genesis is telling us about what God has done. And theology is indeed at its best the knowledge of God. This term, though, is used by some folk to deceive people into thinking that there is a difference between the theology and the actions of God. They are attempting to say that Genesis tells us that God created, yes, but it doesn't say anything about the details of how he created. That is not true. Genesis Chapter 1 tells us that God spake and thereby things were created. Creation is an act of the expressed will of God. What we read here is God's revelation of what happened. Now, it is important to note that creation of everything from nothing is, according to the rules of physics, impossible. You cannot recreate this in a science lab. You can object and say that this could only happen if you had an all-powerful God whose existence was separate from creation. And you would be right. That is the point. Creation from nothing is an extraordinary miracle. On the scale of the universe, we are insignificant specks of dust, utterly meaningless, except that God has revealed to us that we were made and exist for a purpose. Our life, chapter 2, verse 7, comes from God breathing the breath of life into Adam. And Adam became a living soul. We are here because of God's sovereign act of creation. Secondly, 
You must know that God made you in his image. Chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. We read, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Then verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. As these verses make clear, and it should be obvious to anyone who thinks about it, we as men and women are very different from all the animals. We are self-aware. We think and plan. We appreciate art, create music, and have a conscience which judges our thoughts and actions. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 explains, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Think about it for a moment. If you go and rob a thief... He will be angry with you. He will want revenge. He will want to get his property back. He has acknowledged God's law. And if you do something wrong, feel guilty about it. Your conscience is holding you accountable. Now, our consciences can be badly trained and don't always get it right. Nevertheless, when it does, it is an acknowledgement of God's law, but it's also speaking to you the fact that you are made in the image of God. You are not just one of the animals. We have an awareness that there is something greater than us. Look around the world and you will see that religion is worldwide. Often it is very corrupted but there is an acknowledgement that we are not mere animals. It is in Genesis chapters 1 through 3 that we find the explanation for this. We are created in the image of God. The earth was created 
to be our home for our use. God has given us dominion, which does not mean that he placed us here to destroy and abuse everything. Quite to the contrary. We are rather to sustain and develop things, to use things for the glory of God. We have been able to tame and use many animals, to develop high-yield crops, to alter the landscape, to produce incredible technology. This is because we are made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 we read, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. Sadly, some take these words, read on through chapter 2, and claim it is a contradictory account of creation. They have not read the words properly, nor seen them in the context of uh, the book. An example which will help clarify this is seen in Genesis chapter 11 at the 27th verse where we read, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. The generations of Terah is not about him, but rather his descendants. So it is with the Genesis chapter 2. The focus is not on a chronological account of creation, but rather on man and God's instructions to Adam. What happened to Adam and Eve as they lived out their lives? We see the unity of humanity. Not only did God make man, chapter 1, verse 27, male and female, he did so in a very special way. We see this brought out in chapter 2, verse 18, where Adam was alone. Verse 19, we see that Adam saw and understood what the animals and birds were like. That's what the the reference to naming them means. And in verse 20 we read, But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. Adam had to understand the uniqueness of mankind, and also that as a man he was incomplete on his own. 
so it was. In verses 21 to 23, that God took part of Adam to form woman. Man and woman form a unity, completeness together. Jesus affirmed the truth and exclusive nature of marriage in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, where he said, And he answered, and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. Jesus pointed his hearers to this creation ordinance. Male and female make marriage. That is God's order. This might sound strange to some modern ears, but faithful male-female marriage leads to massive reduction in disease problems and provides stable homes for children to grow up in. God knows best. God decreed it that way. We live in his world. We were made in his image. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 onwards, the apostle teaches that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Husbands are called upon to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands. This is not about slavery. Instead, it is about being complete together. Christ's love was sacrificial. So is the husband's to be. It is about relationship. Thirdly, God made you subject to his law. The word of Scripture rings out. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. Thou shalt not. The word thou here. Emphasizing that this command is personal. You individually are responsible before God. Some people sadly have the idea that the Bible is full of the words thou shalt not and it says little else. Was it cruel of God to set down one thing Adam was not to do? Was it cruel? Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, 
Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. There was an abundance of provision. Then verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. There was one tree that Adam was not to eat of. That was not cruel. It would have been sufficient if God had said there was only one tree he was allowed to eat of. But he didn't do that. There was a bountiful provision. There was a multitude of trees he could eat the fruit of. But just one he must not. Thou shalt not. Adam was given work to do in the garden. He was put in that garden, verse 15, to dress it and to keep it. We don't know the details of what that involved, but it was activity. It was fulfilling activity that would keep him busy. Work is a blessing, a blessing that has been corrupted by sin. However, it is a blessing today when you can do your work as unto the Lord. And so therefore, enjoy it. God provided Adam with a companion who made him complete. Adam was sinless in paradise. There was only this one rule, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Why a rule? Why was something forbidden? This is the key point. Man was to... Man was created to glorify God. Man is God's creation. He lives in God's world. But will he trust God in all things? Will he trust only God? Will he love God? And see that God's rules are for his benefit? Will he see that God is good and gracious? Satan made great accusation against Job, saying that Job only trusted the Lord because he was blessed. 
because they had good things. It's an easy accusation to make. What about Adam? Would he trust God with one small restriction? One thou shalt not? We see the answer in chapter 3 where Eve was confronted with the serpent. Verse 1 where the serpent said unto the woman Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God hath said Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed the leaves, they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Eve should not have entertained a discussion with that serpent. She should have realized immediately it was unnatural. But she didn't. She was deceived. And then she gave the fruit to her husband. He, in that moment, was not deceived in the way Eve was. He knew that what he was doing was an act of rebellion. But he chose to join his wife. He chose rebellion over love for God. In that moment, he became conscious of his guilt and experienced his own sense of nakedness. We see in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam is our federal head. We sinned in Adam. As the psalmist said, Psalm 51 verse 5, In sin did my mother conceive me. Adam and Eve attempted to cover their guilt 
Verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. These coverings were hopelessly inadequate. They would never last. It was their attempt to cover themselves and their guilt before God. Verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Instead of crying out in confession of sin and rebellion, they hid. Then Adam, verse 12, tried to blame God, the woman that thou gavest me, she said, and verse 13, the woman blames the serpent for beguiling her. They were both guilty. The law of God is pure and holy. It condemns us because we are guilty. Finally, let us see something of the grace of God. Adam was created by God, lived in God's world, and then broke God's law. He knew he was guilty and faced God's penalty. Indeed, he tried to hide from God. But God did not immediately put Adam to death physically. Instead, we read, verse 9, The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? This was a gracious call of conviction. God knew where Adam was hiding and what he had done. Instead of instant judgment, Adam is graciously called and made to face his sin. In verse 21, we see that it is the Lord God who provided Adam and Eve with animal skins to cover themselves with. An innocent animal had to die to provide those coverings for guilty mankind. That is substitutionary atonement. We know from Hebrews 10 verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. This was clearly seen by the fact that daily animals died at the temple. Their blood was shed. But this had to be repeated day after day. On the road to Emmaus, our risen Lord opened the Scriptures what we know as the Old Testament. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we read, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I am sure he began in creation and went on to explain that Christ, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is the seed of the woman who will bruise the head of the serpent. And he pointed to this animal which died as a substitute 
to provide a covering. Remember that John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, John 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Just as Adam and Eve had to be called, convicted and clothed, so you need to repent of your sin and guilt and be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Oh, that your testimony would be with Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Adam proved that we cannot live good lives independent of God's grace. In Adam, we are dead. But through the death of Christ, through his burial and resurrection, we have the promise of new birth, of of life, of eternal life. Full and free relationship with God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen.